Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Well, this morning, as promised, um, we are going to jump into a new sermon series, uh, and this sermon series is unique. Now, I probably referenced it a few times here or there in a message, but I've never dedicated an entire message to this particular subject, uh, let alone an entire sermon series. So we're not just going to go for one day. We're going to go for four weeks on this subject. Uh, Were any of you just trying to guess throughout the week, maybe trying to figure it out? I know I got a couple of texts. Um, asking me, some of you like, you're not that important, Phil. You know, we didn't think about that the whole week. But uh, some of you may have tried to guess what it was. Um, some of you may have guessed right. Um, but here's what I want to say as I introduce this topic. Um, if I'm going to be faithful to my duty as a pastor, if I'm going to be faithful to my duty as your pastor, if I'm going to be faithful to the call that God has placed over my life, not just to be a disciple, but to be a discipler, then I'm going to have to address what I believe is a sleeping giant in the church today. And that's money. Now, I already know some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm not coming back. This is why I don't go to church. Um, You know, Philip, stick to the gospel, stick to the Bible, you know, stick to the spiritual things. But when it comes to money, I, I need you to lay off that. Um... But here's what I kind of want to say to you. Before you pass judgment on, um, before you pass judgment whether or not a church should really talk about money, I'm going to give you three reasons why. We're going to open up this morning. We're giving you three reasons why uh, I believe that the church should talk about money. Three reasons why I believe that your purses and your wallets are not immune to discipleship. Reason number one. For some of you in here today, your current financial situation is a great source of pain in your life. Money stresses you out. It keeps you awake at night. And it might even cause some of your biggest marital stresses. Some of you might even have gone through a divorce and money has been the issue. Some of you have contemplated and money has been a major issue. And when you think about money, you can't help but become unhealthy and unhappy. Reason number two, there is an undeniable link between your relationship with money and how you spend it with your relationship with God. You can't separate the two. You can't compartmentalize your spending and your spiritual life. Jesus said this, no man can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus reveals to us that there is a connection between money and mastery, money and lordship. And if we're being honest, we've all been here before. Let me explain. 
Cars repossessed. Eviction notices. Multiple credit cards. High interest rates. We've robbed Peter just to pay Paul. And I know this is a sensitive issue, but please humbly receive my challenge to you this morning. Many times, money problems can be an indicator of some kind of unhealthy thinking regarding God and his gospel in your life. Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we may think are reoccurring patterns of poor spending habits can really be issues of worship rooted in our hearts. And even if you think this morning that your spending habits are okay, those habits still reveal something about your affections. I heard somebody say, you want to know what a church really cares about? Look at their calendar and their budget. And I think the same thing goes for your wallets and your purses. Finally, number three, most of us, I say most of us, but I really think all of us have assumptions about what we think the Bible has to say about money, but have never been really taught what it actually says. Some of us in here this morning carry ideas about God, about money, and the church that have been influenced by people who've been hurt by the church. Some of us in here carry ideas about God, about money in the church, and those ideas have been influenced by an article you read about a scandalous pastor misusing the finances of a church. And it's because of these misconceptions that I believe that the church must not, it cannot be afraid to talk about money. Amen? If we talk about money in a way that's biblical, if we talk about money in the way that Jesus talked about money, then not only can we set some people free from financial bondage, but we as a church can start being a light to the world and how we steward our money so that even our finances are bringing glory to God. And so what I like to do, I like to pray as we jump into this, and, um, and we're just going to take this journey. And I hope um, for those of you in here today that maybe feel on the, maybe on the edge, on the border of whether churches should talk about money or not. I hope that as this week goes on, we'll change that, and we'll be able to break some of these assumptions and misconceptions. And some of you will be able to walk out of here at the end of this month and feeling a little bit freer about how you can glorify God in your finances. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are here, the Holy Spirit, you are translating this message into every heart and every mind in these seats. I pray that your name will be glorified. I pray that we would break through bondages and barriers. I pray that we would get to the heart of the matter. We'd focus on our affections. And I pray because... I know that this room is full of people who are discontent with their current circumstance and situation. Lord, I even pray if there's someone in here that came to get a word and they're already afraid or upset because they didn't think that we were going to talk about money. But I believe even this message will speak to somebody in here today who needs to know 
the love of Christ this morning. And so I just pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in all my experience with the church, I was born and raised in church. Um, Some of you um, spend a lot of time in church. I always say I spend eight days a week, 25 hours a day in church. Um, And I'm thankful for that. Um, I've been in ministry for right around 12 years now. And all my experience with the Christian church, I've seen two misconceptions preached on and believed by many Christians regarding the theology of money. And believe it or not, there is a theology of money. And so we're just going to call these, we're going to go through them slowly this morning. We're just going to call these two misconceptions uh, a prosperity theology and a poverty theology. So let me quickly define each. The prosperity theology says this, God wants you to be wealthy. Beware of false teachers who teach a prosperity theology. They love using words like blessing, favor, and increase. The majority of their sermons sound something like this. Sow a seed, reap a harvest. Reap and sow, sow and reap, reap and sow, prosperity, favor, blessing, blessing, blessing. Now, yes, it's true. You will find this kind of language all over scripture, okay? Don't get me wrong. You will find sowing a seed. I believe that. You will blessing, prosperity. You will find these things throughout scripture. I am not saying these things are incorrect. Here's what I want you to know. It's when there is a disproportionate leaning towards and even a moral value attached to wealth that this theology becomes dangerous and false. I want you guys to settle this in your heart right now. Nobody has more faith, is more righteous, or is more favored by God just because they have Money. Settle that right now. Nobody has more faith, is more righteous, is more favored by God because they have more money. Listen. In this theology, there is an overemphasis of material gain. The preaching and teaching continually focuses on wealth and blessing. And here's what I want you to know. If, are you ready? If the ministry or if the minister talks more about prosperity than they do about the gospel of Jesus Christ, turn it off. Get it out of your podcast. Get it out of your YouTube rotation. If you continually hear prosperity and blessing and you do not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, turn it off. While those in the prosperity camp attach a moral value to wealth, those in the poverty camp place a moral value on being broke. This group takes scripture like Jesus had no place to lay his head. He was homeless. They also take scripture like it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, it's impossible for all of us, but Jesus has made it possible. They take these scriptures and they would... 
They create a theology that would suggest that holiness means having no desire for money at all, no desire for material gain. But hear me out. Nobody is a greater disciple of Christ because they live paycheck to paycheck, okay? This is not faith living. This is unhealthy stewardship. And guys, we've all seen both of these ridiculous extremes masquerading themselves as biblical. I've heard of some pastors expensing thousands of dollars of Louis Vuitton belts to church accounts for evangelistic outreach called TV ministries. I've even seen some raise millions of dollars so that they can get a newer jet. You know, I even heard one pastor say, I can't fly commercial because when I'm on commercial flight, there's just so many evil spirits around and it messes with my ministry. So I need a private jet. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in the word. I need to make sure that we are clear of evil spirits as I fly from one place to another. And can I just say something? America, not the church of America, not only needs to change its ways regarding how it stewards money, but we need to repent. America is at fault for the prosperity gospel. And we've peddled it to foreign countries. In fact, we've peddled all over. In fact, you'll see third world countries giving everything to men for the sake of being blessed like Americans. America has invented the prosperity gospel. We are leading people to hell. And they're giving their finances on the way down. On the flip side, I've also seen some pastors hide their new cars. (laughs) Refuse to buy new clothes. Or upgrade their lives in any major way out of fear of not coming off as pious as can be to their congregation. And so you have wealthy congregations with broke pastors because we believe that somehow the man of the cloth should be the poorest, most impoverished person in the room in order to be holy. No wonder why the wife and the children of the church walk away from the church. No wonder why the children hate the church. You ever hear that story about how PKs are the worst? Not my son, not P3. I want to say you guys don't do that. Thank you. And here's the truth. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not, all of us have been influenced by these two theologies. One way or another, can I say this? None of us in here are immune. Every one of you in here, one way or another, consciously or subconsciously, have been influenced by this theology. But the question is, what does the scriptures really have to say about money? This is why we're going to take the next four weeks to try and talk about it, to clear it up a little bit so that you could walk away and be able to combat some of, this, some of these misconceptions that you have been walking with. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, an outline of what the next four weeks will look like, and then we'll dive into today's scripture. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the problem with debt. If you have debt, come, don't stay home. Uh, it'll be edifying, I promise. The following Sunday, we'll discuss, about, we'll discuss the truth about tithing. What does that really mean? What does that really look like? And finally, 
we'll finish this series off by defining what generous living actually looks like for a follower of Christ. But this morning, I want to get to the heart of the matter, amen? Money and the heart, that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, why don't you open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 3 through 10. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. And while you're looking for it, I just want to give you a little context. Um, again, we're jumping kind of right in the middle of a letter that's been written for a reason. So how can you really expect to understand one portion without knowing the point of the whole? So I'm going to do my best just to give you a little context, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul is mentoring this young pastor named Timothy, and he's telling Timothy about what church life should look like, what church leadership should look like, because as a young pastor, not only is he fostering the life of the church, but he's also raising up leaders. I imagine Paul would be writing to me, and I would be sitting and listening and reading this letter, Here in chapter 6, Paul is warning Timothy, hey, look, you're a young pastor, you're building an influential church, false teachers are going to try to creep in. False leaders with false gospels are going to try to creep in. And so in this particular portion of the letter, he's telling Timothy what a false teacher looks like so Timothy can be equipped to know what they look like and to tell them no if they want to come on his stage and preach another gospel. With that being said, let's read verse 3 together, or I'll read verse 3. You could follow along. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul's gangster, isn't he? Let me pause real quick just to tell you, Paul tells Timothy, the mark of a false teacher can be seen in the subject of their message and in an overinflated ego. If they're not preaching Christ, if they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if they're not preaching our need to walk in holiness, then they are wolves in sheep clothing. This is good for Timothy as a leader, but this is also good for you because now you are podcasting, you are YouTubing, you're expanding your understanding, and you are trying to find people to speak into your life. You're reading books. You really need to be aware of these things. Let's continue in verse 4. Paul says to Timothy, regarding false teachers, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, slander, evil suspicions, and const- evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means for what? A means of gain. Paul keeps warning Timothy, beware of arrogant teachers with character issues. They sound like they're selling something more than they're teaching something. Amen? 
Have you heard them before? Turn on the TV at a particular time of night, and they're all over the place. And instead of promoting godly gain in Christ, they're promoting themselves. They're promoting what they're selling. They're promoting blessing. They're promoting prosperity. They're promoting so on and so forth. Now, after this warning concerning these wolves, Paul turns his attention towards money and the heart of the believer. And this is the place where we're going to fall on for the rest of our time together and really focus in on this. I believe it will speak to you as it has already spoken to me. And scripture says this, now listen, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food and if we have clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now I'm going to read one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. Here it is. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I, I was just thinking about that misquoted scripture. I remember a long time ago, I had a buddy of mine. He got a tattoo and it said, God blesses those who bless themselves or something like that. And he totally thought it was a scripture. And I was like, hey, man, that's not a scripture. I was like, you know, do me a favor. Go around. Don't tell people this is a scripture. You know, there's so many things that I think if we did a test, though, most of us would think are Bible scriptures, that they're absolutely not. Back to the story. Here's what I want to say off the top. Are you ready? Paul makes this clear. Money is not evil, guys. Money is not evil. It's just a piece of paper that helps us make exchanges. And we don't even use paper anymore, okay? Venmo's not evil, right? Debit card is not evil. Money is not evil. Are you ready for this? But your affection and love for it is. Money is not evil, but your affection and love for it is. Put on your seatbelts today. Put them on, please. So here's the question I want to ask y'all today. Do I love money? Do you love money? Do you love money? (laughs) But before you answer no too quickly, which somebody answered, yeah, I appreciate that. (laughs) But before you answer no too quickly, because many are like, nope. If you answer no quick, you love money. We're done. Let's go home. Here's what I want us to do. Uh, Part of the Christian life is examining yourself daily to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. And so I want to ask five questions that come from the text that I just read that will help you clearly and honestly examine your hearts to determine if you love money. Are we ready? 
Paul tells us in verse 6, living godly and being content is great gain. If you need stuff, right, stuff, if you need stuff, you need money, you need clothes, you need material possessions to feel better about your life, it's very likely that there is a misplaced affection in your heart. Paul is advising Christians to think with eternity in mind. He says this, as Christians who eagerly hope for an eternal future, why do you carry such deep affections for things that you cannot take with you when you die? If you're a Christian and you hope for an eternal future, why are you stressed over? Why are you so frustrated by? Why are you so concerned with things that you will not, cannot take with you when you die? So what gains have you focused most on in 2018? And what gains are you most focused on in 2019? Remember this, there is only one gain guaranteed to bring you contentment. And it has nothing to do with your body or more money. It has everything to do with godliness. So, you ready for the first question to ask yourself? To determine whether or not you love money, here it is. What gains are you currently prioritizing in your life right now? Financial or spiritual? What was the top of your 2019 list? And if financial gains, career gains, material gains were the top of that list, for some of you, spirituality didn't even come in that list. Or if spirituality was at the bottom of the list, you have your priorities upside down, and I believe you love money. Everybody together, breathe. Some of you are like, no, I'm good so far. Paul continues in verse 8. He clarifies, as followers of Christ, besides Jesus, the only two things that we really need to be content in this life is what? Food and clothing. And this is so crazy when I was thinking about this because in our culture, we've even managed to turn these two necessities into extravagance. Isn't it crazy? If it's not a particular kind of food, Pastor Phil, I only eat this. I, and I get it. Some of y'all are being healthy. I don't want to bag on you. But you know what I'm saying? Like, just hear my heart. You know, I'm not, you know, oh, I'll come over to dinner, but you know, if you could just, you know, don't make this, don't make that. I'm like, what do you want? Asparagus? No butter? You know what I mean? Like, my word. Let's go out to eat. I don't even invite people to eat dinner anymore at the house. We can't even break bread. It's impossible in America. I need it. I, you know, I'm bagging on you because I need to eat different. But here's what, please, hear the heart of this, though. Like, we've even turned necessities into, like, extravagant. Like, if it's not a particular type of food, and if it ain't a particular brand of clothing, it's not going to touch my body. 
How sad is it for a Christian to think that way? Right? And can I just say, in America, we have the basics. So nobody in here can, in America, now, there are some, don't get me wrong, there are some struggling with food and clothing. But for the most part in America, compared to, like, third world countries, we have the basics. Sure, your account might be negative. Some of y'all don't even grab the receipt from the ATM because you just don't want to see where it's at right now. (laughs) Your account might be negative. (laughs) Things might be a little tight, but we have the basics, but we're still not content. In fact, we're the opposite of content, aren't we? We're anxious, we're depressed, we're full of anxiety because we think the world is collapsing because our money is tight. We think we have permission to be a mess because we don't have everything we want. But Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I might be coming off a little strong, but allow the shoe to fit for the sake of growth. If you have food, clothing, and a roof over your head as followers of Christ, there should be a level of contentment there. If you have food, you have clothing, you have a roof over your head as a follower of Christ, there should be some contentment there. Now, if you don't have one of those things, please come talk to us. We'd love to help. I understand. I'd understand. But if those things are not there, or those things are there as a follower of Christ, there should be a level of contentment. So how much more should we be thankful without grumbling if we have even more than that? And you know what? I put a little note here. Some of us are professional grumblers. You have your own connect group. It's a grumble group. You really grumble. We're just grumblers. The shoe fits. Wear it. Wear it. Repent. Please repent and believe. I'm worried for your soul. I get into trouble when I get off my notes. We have multiple cars, walk in closets. We shop at Whole Foods. It's so expensive, but we still go there. Some of you go to Sprouts, and that's okay. Even with all of this, we're still deeply dissatisfied with our body, deeply dissatisfied with our cars, deeply dissatisfied because we don't have something new to wear every Sunday. The second question that I want to help you examine as to whether or not you have a love for money is this. Are you content with the basics of life? In verse 9, we're told, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. To clarify, you're not in sin for desiring to build wealth. Amen? Please don't feel bad about desiring to build wealth. But if your desire is primarily riches 
that desires at the top, it will lead you to sin. The third question that will help you determine whether or not you love money is this. Do you sin to obtain money? Do you sin to obtain money? Or does your money lead you to sin? Or do you sin to keep that money? Do you cheat on your taxes? Are you a compulsive gambler? Do you lie to manipulate a sale? This is how you know you're in love with money. You're willing to sin to get it, and you're willing to sin to keep it. The last two questions come out of verse 10. First, Paul says, because of money, some have wandered from the faith. Wow. You know, there are two ways money can make you wander from your faith. The first one is this. When you lack money, do you doubt God? You're wandering from the faith. When you lack money, do you doubt God? Do you find yourself frustrated with God and questioning his love for you because you're late on the rent? Because the bills are piling up or because you've lost your house? And what's crazy about this is many times instead of being angry with God, you just need to repent because you've been an unwise steward with what God has given you. Many have wandered from the faith. What do I mean by that? When you lack money, do you doubt God? Number two, second way you can wander from the faith. When you have money, do you have no need for him? No longer need him. You're not desperate anymore. Your prayer life slips. You have all you want. What is there to pray for? God has been the means to an end. He's not the means himself. And I have a problem with American Christianity, a brand that is being preached out there, that we use God so that we can fulfill our destiny or our dreams or our purpose or our goals or our careers. He should be the goal. He should be the destiny. Are you with me? And when you, Because what happens is if he's not your all in all, when you don't get what you want, that's your God. So you leave God and you try to find something else to, make, something else to help you get what you want. He was just a partner to something greater in your life. Number two, a second way that you can wander away is when you have money, you no longer need God. So here's the fourth question I want you to ask yourself. Here's the fourth question I want you to ask to examine whether or not you love money. Uh, do you doubt God when you lack money, or do you leave God when you have money? Do you doubt God when you lack money, or do you leave God when you have money? Later in that same verse, Paul also says, because of money, they have pierced themselves with many pangs. To pierce means to literally hurt yourself. It's like a sword Stabbing into your side. So the fifth and final question I want you to ask yourself to see if you love money today is this. Do your finances make you physically ill? Does your current financial situation create such an anxiety, such a stress that it interrupts your sleep, causes you to break out? Is it making you physically ill?
Now, I want to conclude today's message by answering this question. How can I love money less and still be more content? If you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. Contentment flows out of a heart that has learned to focus on what it does have in Christ rather than what it doesn't have in this world. Contentment flows out of a heart that has learned to focus on what it has in Christ rather than what it doesn't have in this world. That's where contentment flows for a Christian. It flows on understanding what I am, who I am, what I have, what Christ has secured from and for me. Not from me, but for me. And there are so many reasons, guys, so many reasons Uh, We could list a non-stop amount, an eternal amount of reasons for our contentment in Christ, but I'm just going to give you three. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning as to why I feel like you should be content in plenty and in nothing. Reason number one, I should be content because my sins have been forgiven. I should be content... Because my sin has been forgiven. Maybe you're feeling a little convicted this morning because you know you love money. You realize that you place your contentment in financial gains rather than spiritual gains. And you know you're in sin. But even though this may be your liability, we have an asset in Christ. Jesus forgives sins. And because I am in Christ and because my sins have been made clean, how could I not be content? I may not have everything I want. I may be in debt and down on money. But all is well with my soul. All is well with my soul. I may not be in the house that I want. It might not even be a house. It might be a little apartment. All is well with my soul. I may be living with my in-laws, but all is well with my soul. People may look down on me because of our current car that we're driving. I hate driving this car. It doesn't work. The windshield wipers don't work. Oh, come on, girl. Hallelujah. In the summer, the heater works. In the winter, it doesn't work. (laughs) In the winter, the AC works. In the summer, it doesn't work. My wife has to roll the window down just to get out the car. But all is well with my soul. All is well with my soul. Amen. I know I get a witness in here because living in the Bay Area ain't easy, y'all. I said, Lord, you call me to the Bay, you better pay for it. I love money and I need to repent. Amen. But seriously, guys, as Christians, 
we should be content because our sins are forgiven. Number two, I should be content because as a Christian, I have been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Talk about the greatest asset a Christian could have in their life. Better than a retirement 401k, whatever it is that you have now, I think those are becoming extinct. You have the Holy Spirit. I don't think we truly get this. As followers of Christ, the same Spirit who was in Jesus is in us. Though our liabilities might be many, we may be broke with no sign of relief. But the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you and I. He is our asset. He is our advocate. He convicts us of sin and draws us closer when we're far. He comforts us in time of need. He advocates on our behalf. He intercedes through us and in us. When we don't have the words, he prays for us. He brings us a kind of peace and a kind of relief that no amount of money can buy. Finally, number three, I should be content because I have been justified by faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness has become my righteousness. His perfect record before God has been accredited to me. So now when God looks down on me, he doesn't see my misguided love of money. He doesn't see my lying. He doesn't see my cheating. He doesn't see my manipulating. But he sees Jesus' perfect life lived on my behalf. And the best part of all of this is that it comes by faith. Not by debit. Not by credit. And not by cash. It is the free gift of God. There is nothing more in this world that I could ever want than being justified by Christ. <laughs> in fact, what a sad state to be in as a Christian to know you're justified in Christ and still be discontent. What a sad state for a Christian who doesn't truly grasp this truth to know that you've been justified by faith in Christ, his perfect life given to you. When the Father looks down, he doesn't see your guilt, your shame, and your sin, but he sees Jesus. What a sad state of affairs for a Christian to have all of this and still be wandering this life dissatisfied. Let me just tell you this. You can have all the money. You can have all the possessions in this entire world. But if you're not justified by faith in Jesus, you are the poorest, impoverished, most desperately in need person on the faith of this planet. And the opposite is true. You could be homeless, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. 
You could have lost everything. But if you are justified by faith in Christ, you have everything. And if you don't believe that, come with us to the Philippines and watch how some beautiful Christians live their life. Listen to the Apostle Paul write. You could just listen in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. This is what he says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Are you ready for verse 13? Because verse 13, if the other verse was a most quote misquoted, this verse is the most quoted scripture in all of scripture. You ready for this? Because here it comes. He says this, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I'm going to tell you the secret. Ready? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Look, this scripture is not about scoring more touchdowns. This scripture is not about achieving some great goal in your life. It's Paul looking at his life, a man who was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. It's a man who's been shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, tortured, and ultimately cut off. His head was cut off. This is a man who says this, I can be hungry or I can be full. I can have a lot or I can have a little. I can be rich and I can be poor. No matter what my circumstance, in plenty or in little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me, who brings me, who is my strength. Let me just say this. As followers of Christ, we find our joy, we find our peace, we find our value, we find our contentment and satisfaction not in our money or our accumulation of stuff, but in Christ alone. In Christ alone. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Since money is a worship issue, I think it would be right to finish this morning's service off with a bit of a worship expression. And with time permitting, I, 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 I'm going to tell you a really brief story and then we're going to worship. For about two years, my wife and I, and this is a story. This is, please don't play a swan song for me. I promise you, we love Jesus. Um, my wife and I, we've only had one car. And so to be quite honest with you, we need a second car. It's a need. It's not just something. Actually, we don't need a car. We've been living just fine without it. But we've had one car, and 
Um, we were praying to have more children, and so it's just something that we need to do. Um, and so we've saved, and we don't have a problem looking for another car. In fact, we went to go test drive minivans, because uh, even though I wanted the SUV, right, <laughs> um, you know, a little too expensive. Um, so we settled for this minivan, knowing that we needed some space, right, and uh, we wanted to continue to build the family. And, you know, for those of us now, we have a little commuter car. Um, we go camping. It doesn't work, right? And so, um, so we went to go test drive minivans. Um, and there was like four different ones that we were test driving. And, of course, you know, I got in. They're, they're getting a little more stylish now, right? It's not just soccer miles no more. You're like, man, I can get in this thing, right? <laughs> so I got in this stylish black minivan, leather seats, all the bells and whistles, all these buttons that you're not going to push, right? Not going to push like 80% of those buttons. Um, get out there and like the get up on that thing was nice. I was like, oh my goodness, like this is a nice minivan. And of course my wife, she gets in the less stylish upgraded minivan. She's like, I like this one. You like that one? And of course we know the finances were different, right? One was a little more expensive than the other. Um, we ended up not purchasing at all, holding off for a while. And as I was kind of going through this message and kind of processing it, because I think a preacher should first preach to himself, um, and I'm sharing with you this morning, um, I asked myself, what was it about this more stylish minivan that made me feel like it was okay to put more money down in this area when that money could be better used, A, with family, or even giving to the church or building his kingdom? What is it about that stylish minivan what is this style? And then the question was, what does that style do for me? That was the real question. Will it give me peace? Will it give me joy? Will it bring me comfort? Will it make me feel more satisfied? Will I feel better when I'm rolling to church with it? What is it about the more stylish option that captures my attention? Let me tell you why that question was so important. What is it about this minivan that Christ hasn't already given to me that I'm not completely secure and satisfied with? Now, again, don't get me wrong. There are purposes why you need. Now, you know, I don't want, it's okay. You can go shopping after church today. Okay, you can buy a new car. Please don't hide. But my point is this. Where are your priorities? What is controlling your life? What, what are you, and it doesn't have to be money, but what are you looking to outside of Christ to give you contentment and joy? Because you're in Christ, you're justified by faith, your sins are forgiven, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet you're still looking down on life thinking that you're missing out. Wow. And as long as we're on this earth as humans in our skin, our flesh, we're going to always battle with this. Can we be just supremely satisfied in Jesus? And as we head into the rest of this month, we're going to build on this idea of money. Can we always know the heart of the issue? I am content in Christ, in Christ alone. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to say a collective prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this room, wherever they are in their walk of faith. First and foremost, my greatest desire is that we would know Christ as our Savior. We put our faith and trust in Christ alone.
that we wouldn't build on top of sinking the sinking sand of materialism, the sinking sand of financial gain, that we will build on the rock that is Jesus. Secondly, I pray for those in this room that are in plenty and those in this room that have nothing. Lord, I pray right now that we would find our identity. Lord, that those with plenty would find their identity not in the flashy things that they have, but in Christ. And I pray that those that right now find themselves in a season of nothing, they wouldn't be crushed. They wouldn't feel abandoned. But that they would know that in Christ, they have every spiritual blessing. They are seated in heavenly places. So may Inspire Church be a church that will always be diverse. The rich and the poor. The young and the old. May we always practice unity in diversity. And Lord, may we be a church that gives. May we be a church that says, how can I bless the kingdom of God? How can that be the priority in my life? How can we bless? How could we be a blessing and not just look for a blessing? So, Father, I just thank you for your words spoken, your encouragement. I thank you for these three things. I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I thank you that I have been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that I am justified by faith in Christ Jesus. May we walk out of here not lacking if we have those things. So, Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Love somebody. Bless somebody. Have a wonderful Sunday. Enjoy the connects this week, and we'll see you next Sunday.